Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hello and welcome to a special Between Races edition of Talking Point. My name is Henry Valentine. Here is what's coming up on today's show. We'll be talking through the winners and losers from the Formula One season so far now that two races have gone under our belts. Kira Megan is here with us to talk through her F1 firsts. And we'll also be looking ahead to the Australian Grand Prix, which is finally back on the calendar after its three-year absence. And I'm thrilled to say that Kira Megan is joining me now. Kira, how are you? Hello, I'm fine, thank you. How are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. It's, uh, it's good to be something a little bit different. Now there's a little bit of respite after the first two races, isn't there? Yeah, you can finally sit, think about what you've just watched <laughs> and assess it, I guess. And that's exactly what we're going to do. So let's uh, let's dive straight into it. So winners, like there are so many things that have changed from these uh, from these new rules, haven't they? Like who would you say has been the the biggest winner so far this season, aside from obviously the race winners, of course? Yeah, I think it's very. I think it's definitely going to have to be Ferrari. I think they have the main winners in this. I think obviously Red Bull have always been up there for the last couple of years, um, so it's not a surprise that they're still there. But Ferrari, you know, they were kind of on their resurgence after the last couple of years of dipping back. And I definitely feel like they are the ultimate winners because their car looks incredible in every situation. It's really, really good. And the drivers too. I mean, they've they've been spoken about so highly by so many people and you're now sort of seeing that in action, aren't you too? Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, they are two young, feisty drivers. You know, we've seen it in Charles Leclerc coming up the ranks. We've also seen it in Carlos Sainz with every team he's been in. So to put them together and to actually give them a competitive car, incredible really good and i mean for, for red bull as well i mean they there were worries for them about uh before the start of the season weren't there that they were sort of overdeveloping their 21 car and that might have sort of affected them for yeah. 2022 but they put that to bed haven't they yeah even i was one that kind of sat there and thought because you know christian horner was coming out saying we are putting everything into the, this year which was last year they were like we don't know over the next year's car he's quite open in saying you know we are really not focusing on next year as much as probably other teams were but looks like whatever they've done they've got it right um which is very good it's probably much of a relief to them as well to know that you know they've done everything last year but actually this year it's still running really smooth and from a Ferrari point of view too, I mean, that so much has gone on behind the scenes. They've got all these new facilities being built. I think they've got a brand new simulator at Maranello as well. That that all seems to have sort of played its part in coming together, hasn't it? I mean, the like twenty twenty was so bad for them. Like, how do you think the mood will have changed within the teams? Like, just even going from P three up to where they are now. Mm, I think yeah, I think they were in a little bit of no man's land last year because they weren't a really bad car, but they also just weren't near the top. And you know, I think to now know that they are very comfortably fighting, I'd say for the championship, for all these race wins, for you know qualifying as well. Like it's not just like they've got race pace; it's like they've got pace everywhere. I think just changing that and having that dynamic and knowing that what they've been working on behind the scenes in the last couple of years has definitely paid off for them and you know we're now seeing that on track I think that will really lift the spirits at Maranello and they they are winners obviously but that can come at a price can't it because Leclerc and Sainz got on so well and if they're if it comes down to the two of them sort of battling for the title <laughs> it was, it's happened so many times before that relationships kind of go out the window don't they can you see some fireworks sort of happening down the line as a result of this yeah, I really hope not. I'm never one for, you know, liking the 
that, that I think I'm quite scarred from Lewis and Nico. I think that took it all out of me back then. <laughs> um, but no, I think I think they're good friends first and foremost, and I think they've got to understand that they've got the professional relationship, and I think they're both mature enough. I think there's going to be moments for sure. I think they're both drivers that do have moments, and I think it could get a little bit um, feisty maybe. I think he's never going to get really, really bad, and you know, I think they've got to both realise that whoever wins, wins. Exactly, and um, from Science's point of view, he's just looked that tiny bit behind so far, hasn't he? he uh, he's even said that he's got like interesting theories as to how he can beat Leclerc, and uh, like whether or not that happens is uh, is <laughs> it's going to be something to behold, isn't it? We we have absolutely no idea, but it's going to be exciting to watch. Yeah, it's going to be really exciting. I think there was a lot of. I don't know. I almost feel like Charlotte Claire is quite underrated of late. I think a lot of people were kind of looking, thinking Carlos Sainz is going to win this championship. Carlos Sainz, Carlos Sainz. But, you know, Charlotte Claire has always been there. He just kind of maybe goes under the radar a little bit. I'm not really too sure. The last couple of years, I feel like it's kind of dipped in terms of the Charles Leclerc show that most people love. Um, and Charles showing up saying, look, I am here. And he has definitely been the better Ferrari driver this year so far. I'm going to follow on from that point as well because Mark Genet said that it's almost like Charles Leclerc 2.0. I mean, I know we've had Bottas 2.0, 5.0, 12.0, or whatever, but um, so he's supposedly less emotional. And you can kind of tell that in the way he's been speaking on team radio, can't you? He seems like he's just kind of settled down a bit within himself because he's his own worst critic, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. He's always said, you know, he's he could do something so amazing and he'd be like, I didn't like it. It wasn't great. It wasn't this. It wasn't that. So he just seems more mature. And obviously he's had so many, I can't believe how long he's been in Formula One now. It feels like yesterday he just won his F2 championship and he was coming season up. now? Yeah. Something like crazy. That, yeah. yeah. One, two, three, four, five. yeah, five. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> it's crazy, but obviously he's matured. He's been in Ferrari a couple of years now, so he knows what's around him. And I think he's probably worked on himself a little bit to understand, you know, this is where we're at now. I can't be criticizing myself all the time. It's not going to help. It's not going to make me go forward. And it's proven that it's working. So let's move on to your second winner then. Like, who else has really stood out for you in the first part of the season? I mean, I could think, I'm thinking of all the losers as I say it. <laughs> <laughs> well, can I, can I put in a shout for a winner? Yeah. At that point, I would like to put in a shout for Ross Braun and all of his team who have worked on the new regulations because they seem to have worked exactly as they wanted to. I mean, Esteban Ocon said after Saudi Arabia that it was a bit like going back to go-kart racing. It was a lot of fun for him and the drivers have said how much easier it is to follow now as well. And it's, uh, it's looking like it's really paid dividends, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, it's, it's a, such a big thing for a regulation change. We don't have them, you know, very often in terms of the wider scheme of things. And, you know, it's a big change. We had issues in the past that we know we needed to fix. It was all on them to make sure that these regulations were going to work and also that the teams were going to adapt their cars the way that they should have done. Uh, but I think Ross Braun has, yeah, as you said, I think he's got it right. I think he'll be very happy. It could easily have gone wrong. We never know how it could have gone. It's Formula One at the end of the day. But I do think he'll be quite, as you said, quite happy that it's all going quite well and people are really enjoying it so far. And he predicted it could actually sort of be a glorious time in F1. And Mark uh, commented on Planet F1, which you're welcome to do if you're reading one of our stories. Uh, he said, to hear the drivers actually speak so highly of the regulation rather than just Liberty Media is superb. It could be a golden few years for Formula One. Like, do you sort of share Mark's view there? Yeah, definitely. I feel like when the car came out last year, I think I remember the drivers weren't too sure on it. Or was it last year or the year before? <laughs> Who knows now at this point? Um, they weren't too sure on the car. And I remember Daniel Ricciardo saying like he wasn't really sure about it. But actually, I feel like now it's developed and it's not just like, this is the first thing you'll see. I think well, now it's been developed. The teams have got their own spin on it. I think they're a lot more comfortable with it. And I think that that's, that's the main thing. And you want the drivers to enjoy what they're doing. We've obviously got the bigger tyres as well. They're also, you know, when, we, when they first had them, when they were doing the Pirelli tests, they were all like, 
I hate it. I hate it. But actually, it all came through really nicely together. And I, no, I don't think any of them have really complained. I, I do wonder if how much the sort of silvery, glittery, like, live, like the colour scheme they put on that test car had to do with it because it didn't it didn't look that great, did it? Let's be honest. No, that was that was what ruined it, really, wasn't it? It was quite an awful little livery going on. <laughs> okay, so one more winner then. Um, I would quite like to mention Haas within this as well because like their turnaround has just been remarkable, hasn't it? Uh, incredible. I think. Again, from Haas last year, they said, we're not doing any development this year. Like next year, we're focusing on it. And again, it's that tale of like, what well, is it going to go right? Is it going to go wrong? They just don't know. Again, we're all kind of guessing on these new regulations. And I'm just so happy it's gone well for them. Obviously, they've had their ups and downs, especially before the season as well, changing their driver last minute, losing their big sponsorship last minute, um, which was the right thing to do. So, But then it also puts a doubt on them you know, whether anything might go wrong, whether they could even financially support themselves, we didn't know, but Gunther was quick to kind of say, we'll be okay, which is great. And wow, like not so another good. rich energy situation, oh, no. God, no. please no, please no. Um, no. but Kevin, I think, has been so good. I think Mick, unfortunately, you know, has had a couple of instances and I think he just needs to really solidify himself. I think um Crofty or Brundle or somebody was saying, you know, uh, at the weekend last at Saudi Arabia, he really needs to do something to show he's up on pace with Kevin Magnuson and then he went and crashed and it's just like oh I really hope that Mick can kind of sort this out get him back into the rhythm what we know Mick Schumacher can do uh, and then I think easily he'll be up there with Kevin as well because it's looking really really good for Haas I'm really excited about this because we've got to remember Haas was Haas were up here not even that long ago a couple of years ago Haas were that best of the rest team with Renault at the time so to actually kind of see this coming back I'm really really excited for them and another win that's come from this, Kira, like, who else do you think has, uh, has really stood out in this first part of the season? I would definitely say Valtteri Bottas. I think, you know, he's been taken down from what were was the best team in Formula One for however many years, down to Alfa Romeo, who has been kind of struggling last year and a couple of seasons before. So you never know what was going to happen, but he has been amazing. He's been great. He's been the Valtteri Bottas that I think we all wanted at Mercedes. He has been up there. He's been qualifying like a place behind Lewis Hamilton. You know, you would never have expected that going into the season. If you would have told him this, this time last year, they would not have believed you. I think he's been great as well. I think Guan Yu Zhou has been good. I think Joe just needs to kind of find his feet a little bit. And I think then maybe he'll be able to get up there because the car is evidently very fast. But Valtteri Bottas for me, I think he'll be so happy that he'll be able to be fighting in that mid-pack um, and at the top of the mid-pack with everybody else. And it's great to see him sort of looking like himself again now that pressure's off him. He can he can finally sort of lead a team as well. He, he must have been waiting for that for so long. Yeah, exactly. I feel like it's always been in him. He's always he's a very mature driver, very level-headed. And, you know, he had a good relationship with Lewis. You can see that. So I think it's nice that he can now lead a team, lead a rookie into Formula One. And I just think he's, he's going to really, really enjoy it. And I was never sure. I was quite apprehensive, you know, whether he'd kind of just fizzle out, you know, fizzle out his career. But actually, I really hope it's going the other, I think it's going the other way around. And that's, that's great. So let's move on to the losers then. Obviously, with uh, with people moving up the field, there are people who sort of move down the field as well and things go wrong off track too. So uh, in terms of losers, who do you think has really suffered the most this season so far? I think the Mercedes-powered cars in general, I think they are just lacking in every aspect. I think it's Crofty that likes to point it out every qualifying session. If you look at the bottom, they're all Mercedes-powered <laughs> cars and it's like, it's true, it's true. I don't know whether the power unit just isn't up to scratch or it's just it's just not working for them, um, any of them, you know, McLaren. Williams are kind of, they're like kind of where they were, I'd say. They were 
they're not really like too high or too low. Obviously, Nicholas Latifi is quite difficult. You kind of got to look at Alex Albon for kind of pace um, and measurement for Williams. But yeah, like the McLarens, Aston Martin, and Mercedes, like all of them, all of them are losers. There's no two ways to put it, and you, that's the way it is. They're just right at the bottom. Yeah, like could you have imagined the start of 2014 saying that Mercedes have got the worst power unit? Honestly, it, I mean, it's possible, isn't it? Which yeah. in itself feels so, so weird to say, but having been the dominant force for so long, both like in terms of cars and power units, that it just shows that anyone could get it wrong at times, can't it? Yeah, exactly. And Mercedes had been developing this so for so long. Like they were they were firing it up in December. Like everyone was like, they're so far ahead. Here we go again. Mercedes running away. But at the end of the day, dominance will always run out. You know, look at the history of Formula One, how much it changes. This has been such a long era for Mercedes. And, you know, it kind of has to end at some point. Yeah, well, we saw the same thing back in 2005 when Ferrari would, had been winning everything with Michael Schumacher and they produced a car that was probably only third or fourth best. I mean, we're, we're seeing the parallels here now, aren't we, with, uh, with Lewis Hamilton? It makes you wonder how long this is going to last for them. Absolutely. I mean, it's going to be key for Mercedes now within the next couple of races. I think their next upgrades are coming in Imola, so it's going to be interesting to see what they can do now. I think they probably will be able to pick it up a little bit now, knowing what they know in terms of the other cars. They've been able to look at other people, see kind of what they've done right, what they've done wrong, and I think then they can adjust. But it's going to be a a big task for them, big, big task. I don't know how far they'll get back up, but I I think that they're going to need to step up a little bit and go do a lot of work, a lot of work back at Brackley. And well, one of the sort of positive things to come out from it is good to see how Lewis Hamilton and George Russell kept themselves quite level-headed about it. I think it's quite easy to get sort of quite panicky behind the scenes when stuff like that happens, but they do seem like they're playing the long game here. I mean, it, it makes you wonder how confident they are if they're able to to say something like that or just or just be that way. I should say. Yeah, I think you can kind of tell with the people that George Russell and Lewis Hamilton are that they would be like that. I feel like they are the drivers most on the grid that are quite level-headed. They're never too big for the boots when they're winning. Um, They just do what needs to be done. They're very much team players as well. So I wouldn't really have expected anything less from them, Um, but they just know what they've got to do. They've got to work with the team now. Everybody at Mercedes is in the same position, so they're just going to have to work with them and work together. And then hopefully they can see some good results. So you've already touched on Mercedes powered cars, Kira. Like the other teams really aren't performing well, are they? Who like who do you think has sort of had the toughest time out of the the Mercedes customer teams anyway? I think it's gonna have to be McLaren. I think they are. I think a lot of people were looking at Aston Martin and kind of thinking they would be lower down anyway, but I don't think anybody expected McLaren to be this low. And I think it puts a lot of pressure on Daniel Ricciardo. I think I've always been one to say that McLaren will give him time. I know a lot of people are like, oh, you know, are McLaren going to cut ties with him, like step him out for somebody else? I've always thought that they would give him time. I feel like they are a team that want to give them time, give them a couple of years, but it is more pressure on him. You know, Lando has just signed a however many year deal and Daniel's still future. Yeah. So he's, long set in now so you know whatever Lando does he's fine he's there but obviously Daniel doesn't have that um, stability so he needs to perform and it's almost like the car's really not great so they're only performing as much as they can but at the end of the day Daniel still needs to be there with his teammate and he still needs to do similar to Lando because they're still going to compare them regardless of whether you're fighting for P15 or P5. 
Yeah, exactly. And uh, Andreas Seidel, he he did say like, after Saudi Arabia as well that they both deserve a better car. And, uh, and in the comment section on Planet F1, uh, Brendan said, yikes, might have to get comfortable fighting for 13th every week, which, which no one would want. Uh, an Xbox fan writes, uh, McLaren have a good engineering team and a very solid management team. Uh, it's rare to have such a collection of all good personnel, so I expect they'll figure something out to unlock their car's potential and start competing with possible podiums. I mean, is that a little bit far-fetched for now? I think so. Unfortunately, I do think it is. I think there's obviously so many McLaren fans that have so much hope. They've got such a great fan base, but I just, I just think they're just so far behind now. I can't see them fighting. They weren't hard. Well, they were, they were fighting for podiums last year, but not like solidly every single weekend. So I don't think it's coming this year. Unfortunately, not. No. Now, Daniel Ricciardo even said that he wouldn't be surprised to see uh, McLaren win a race again this year. And, you know, he's going to give it six months and wherever they are in six months, he won't be surprised about where they are. So, I mean, it's, it's good to have ambitions, but at this moment in time, I, I don't think I can see it happening. Like, can you? No, unless, as I said, unless they bring some amazing upgrades or something that's just going to switch it out. But you don't normally see that. And obviously with the budget cap as well, how much can they actually do and how much can they afford to you know, develop? So uh, I'll be looking at next year, I think, Daniel. <laughs> So final loser then, uh, a third out of three. It's, you know, there are quite a few people to have uh, to have had a pretty poor start to the season, but who else do you think should be sort of put in the loser's bracket? I think it's going to have to be Aston Martin and especially it's going to have to be Sebastian Vessel. You know, he has not got a great car this year and he's also missed the first two rounds due to having, you know, coronavirus. And it's just like, whatever points he may have been able to have got out of that those weekends he now hasn't got it puts him on the back foot and he's you no know, he's not been able to work in the I mean these first two race weekends these teams have learned and the drivers have learned so much about their cars already and Sebastian hasn't been able to do that he's had to watch Nico Hockenberg take his place and you know Nico's just there for the ride he's just there to step in like he should <laughs> so for Sebastian he's going to have to come back in and kind of be on a, quite a bit of a back foot here um and obviously the Aston Martin, I think, is such a slow car this year. It's just, it's not set up, Sebastian, for a very good year. No, um, like just in terms of Aston in general as well, they've thrown so much resource at it to try and get things get things right. I mean, we see it in other sports as well. You know, people come along, invest a lot of money in it. They don't always sort of get off the ground that quickly. I mean, I was on the I was on the press call for uh, for the new team principal Mike Crack's first um, press conference as well, and he he's sort of very pragmatic about things. He said he was going to try and be quite conservative and try and take things one step at a time. But I mean, you. you would have imagined that he probably hoped to have had a, a better car to begin with at least. Yeah, that's the thing. I think, you know, when you come in as a new team principal, you're going to have to be positive and you're going to have to say all the things that you should say because, you know, if he was to come in and be like, oh my God, the car's awful, what do we do? Um, <laughs> then it's not going to go great. Uh, but I, I mean, I don't know too much about him in terms of like what he's done before and everything, but you'd like to think he'll be able to lead the team quite nicely. And we've not seen too much of him around, you know, on the telly or no one's really spoke to him or I've not really seen too many interviews for him. So maybe he's just getting his head down, sorting out what he needs to sort out. Well, yeah, that's it. The team structure is sort of fundamentally changed as well. And that that's what Omar Safnau sort of kind of put uh, put down to the fact that he left for Alpine. Uh, he said recently, I had a contract. I had no reason to leave. I uh, had the responsibilities of team principal not being taken away from me. I would have stayed. So this is in response to Martin Whitmarsh coming in to uh, sort of oversee everything. And it's, it's quite a, I, I don't think there's any other team on the grid that's kind of done that, sort of having someone sort of overseeing the team principal in that kind of way. So it's it must be a bit of a unique place to be at the minute. Yeah, it's a bit weird. We don't see that. It's normally like the team principal is the top. Like that is who you answer to. Just have someone oversee it. I don't know, maybe Omar didn't like the fact that he maybe 
felt like he might not have the power or, you know, he didn't really want someone watching over him. Everyone, I mean, everyone's got a boss, a boss, a boss, a boss, but I don't know, maybe it's just not something that he would have liked and it's not something that he's used to, but it's obviously a big thing for him to move despite him saying, I'm not going anywhere. Next thing you know, he's off. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is what it is. It might work for Aston Martin. It might not. As you see, nobody else is doing that. Um, but if it works, it works. Yeah, they have the resources now to to try and do something about it, and they've they've poached Dan Fallows from Red Bull as well. And uh, like he officially started on the first of April as well. So oh, having really? someone of that experience as well, that must be you know at least some kind of boost for them. It makes you wonder what he could do in the short term for them. No, absolutely. I think a lot of the teams have been poaching a lot of people recently, and I think it's a big thing to do. You get such different perspective and so many more ideas from taking somebody from another team that might do things slightly different. And I think sometimes you can get too engrossed in the pool you currently have, and then you get a bit lost in it. So actually to take people from other teams, I think is great. And I think it was a great move for them. Um, And hopefully that can help them out a little bit. So of these three losers, then, who do you think has uh, sort of got the most work to do to, to get themselves in the right place? So we've got yeah, Mercedes, McLaren, Aston, uh, even even the drivers within that. Like who, yeah, who's standing out for you as to having to sort something out and quickly? It's so difficult because they, they all need to do something. I think, I think Aston Martin are slightly on the back foot anyway. And I think, as, as I said, they were last year as well. So... I don't know whether they've got like loads to do. I just feel like that's kind of where the pace of the car is. I think the McLaren is probably, I'd say the McLaren has probably dipped the most out of those three that we've mentioned. I think that the McLaren is a car that was right up there in the midfield and now it's right down here in the midfield. Obviously the Mercedes has dropped, but at the end of the day, it's still the, I'd say the third fastest car on the grid. So they have dropped considerably. And I think a lot of people are looking at the Mercedes because that they have dropped so much, but I'd still say, I think McLaren have the most amount of work to do to at least get themselves back up to fighting for points every weekend. And now we're going to talk about Kia as Formula One first. So this is effectively our guests uh, talking through their very, very first memories of Formula One and what got them into the sport. So Kia, their first question, what is your first ever memory of Formula One and where did it come from? So I don't have like a like first kind of like, this was the first race I watched. This was this, this was that. Um, but I remember, I want to say it was, I don't even know what year it would have been in. Um, my dad obviously was a Formula One fan. I think most people always kind of come from their dad. So my dad was a Formula One fan and I always just remembered he had it on probably in the lounge one day. And I remember seeing ham and butt kind of on the graphics. And I was like, these look cool. What is this? Um, and that was really where it came from. I was like, oh, ham, but cool. Yeah, but okay. Yeah. Um, and then I kind of must have started watching it more, or I don't know. I think I then started picking up on it. He started, obviously, was still watching it. And I don't know where the element of this is like now my life came into it. Like, I don't know at what point I was like, I'm obsessed with this sport. Um, I think I remember I used to be a swimmer and I'd always like have it on my phone. Like, cause I'd be at, at most of my weekends were consumed with swimming. Uh, and I'd be like watching the races, like on my, my sky go or whatever. I was watching it all on my phone. Um, I just, and I, I think it just kind of developed, but yeah, the main, the first thing was hand butt. So within that, have you, have you had a race that you've been to? Have you, have you been to many? Is, uh, is there a first one you can remember? Yes. Yeah. So my first race was 2018 British Grand Prix. Um, that was great. I'd done that with my dad. That was obviously my first kind of experience of cars. It's it's amazing. I mean, I would urge anybody who is able to, to get out to a race because it's honestly amazing. So yeah, 2018 British Grand Prix, uh, and then done 2019 British Grand Prix. Obviously then we got put into a lockdown, so we've not been able to do anything since. Um, but yeah, I mean, the first 
the first Grand Prix. I think the second Grand Prix, I, I mean, from that year, the year's difference, I knew so much more the next year. The next year, I was like, Dad, we need to get to the circuit at eight o'clock. I want to watch the F3. And he was like, you're joking. Whereas the first year, like I wasn't too into the feeder series. Um, but it was great. I mean, sitting, I sit at Club Corner. That's where I will always love to sit. It's such a great seat. Um, and just, just seeing cars in real life, it's so different. It's kind of so different to the telly. And I always say to people, you, you've got to listen to them and experience the sound. It's so different to what you, you, what you get on the telly. Um, but I just remember loving it. Yeah, so it kind of goes through you, the sound, doesn't it? Because it's so powerful. Oh, it's so loud. It's quite yeah. painful, actually. <laughs> yeah. Um, so well, within that, there is a picture of you and Lewis in the background there. So was he the yes. first driver you supported like, out of Ham or Butt, of course? Yes, I think it was. It was definitely <laughs> so it was Ham. ham. It was okay. Ham, I picked Ham. Um, but yeah, it was Lewis. I don't really know where that, where, where or why or who or what, because I don't really know if it was. It might have been like the first couple of years maybe that he was started to dominate. I don't know if it was 2014 properly I started watching. I'm, I'm never too sure. Um, but yeah, it was definitely Lewis. I think Lewis has just been somebody that I just instantly just I guess attract not attracted but like the one that I looked at and I gravitated him. to gravitated to that's the yeah, that's the better go. one uh yeah just gravitated toward Lewis and you know obviously he's been doing really well um or had been doing really well throughout the majority of the time that I was watching Formula One it was definitely after the Red Bull dominance with Sebastian Vettel that I picked up on Formula One so yeah it was just been it's been Lewis ever since really obviously I'm quite a, I'd say I'm quite a neutral in terms of I just like most of the drivers to be honest I like the sport it's not like I'm only watching Lewis, like, but obviously you have your favourites and it's definitely Lewis, Lewis for me. And now we can look ahead to the Australian Grand Prix. It'll be the first time since 2019, all being well, that uh, the <laughs> Formula One has been to Albert Park and a lot has changed. But first and foremost, Kira, Sebastian Vettel is going to be back on track. So uh, you mentioned about him earlier and how much he needs to sort of get back to pace quickly. I mean, do you reckon it'll be easy for him to do that? Yeah, I mean, I hope so. He's a very experienced driver, as we know, four-time world champion. You know, I think it's not something that he's going to struggle too much with. But obviously, the car isn't great. But I think he'll just be happy to get some mileage. I think he'll be probably be testing a lot more and in terms of like FP1, FP2. I think you'll probably see him out a lot more just to get his finder's feet, do what he needs to do. Um, and hopefully he's back. I mean, obviously, he's cleared to race, but you'd like to think that he doesn't have any like long term COVID symptoms or anything like that. Like I know that Lewis was saying he may have had that last himself last year. So hopefully he's all fit and raring to go. But yeah, it's going to be one of those. Again, he's got to learn all the different elements of the track that have been slightly changed as well. And we just haven't been to Albert Park for so many years in general anyway. So it's going to be a new thing for us, some of the drivers. But I think Sebastian himself, he's just going to need to get used to the car a little bit more. So he's ready for qualifying. Exactly. Now let's touch on those track changes. So, so much has gone on since then. So the uh, the turn nine ten chicane is completely gone. So it will be effectively running straight through. And that turn 11, 12 sort of left right sweep is fast enough anyway. So they're going to be yeah. absolutely flying towards there this season. And uh, every braking zone apex has been widened by a few meters as well. So that all this has been done uh, to try and improve the racing in Melbourne. So uh, you just hope it kind of has the right effect. Yeah, I really hope so. I mean, I, I personally don't feel like the race in Albert Park has been too great of late, obviously before COVID. I didn't think that it had been great. I remember Lando Norris's first race in Formula One. He was stuck in the Geo train uh, and that was his first kind of experience with Formula One. And it definitely did need some changes. So hopefully these little tweaks that they've done to make it a little bit more, obviously e easier, I guess, widening as you said and also taking away some harsh breaking points and kind of making it a bit more sweeping hopefully that can help 
with some overtakes. And obviously these cars are just, we've seen these cars a lot better in terms of overtaking anyway. So hopefully they balance each other out quite nicely. We get a really good race, but it's very difficult to say. I don't know yet if it's going to work. We never know of these things. Sometimes you do a track and it looks amazing, but actually you don't race very well. And some tracks, you know, it goes the other way around. So we'll have to wait and see. And you're completely right as well. I, I, I've sort of of the opinion that, that you the races in Australia have never really been that great. Mm. I, I think it comes more out of the excitement that Formula One's back and it's always been the season opener, at least yeah. like, as long as I can remember anyway. And you, you kind of reckon if, if it's going to be a poor race, that's going to be kind of exposed more now that we're in the season. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I definitely agree. Cause I used to, that's exactly how I feel. I used to be like, guys, this Australian race isn't great. Um, and I'd always be in favor to go back to Adelaide instead. And everyone's like, but why Albert Park's great? I'm like, I don't think it is. I think you're just in your mind of formula one is back. This is, this is amazing. I don't think you're actually looking at the race. Cause if you were to watch one of the races back now from a couple of years ago, just on a Sunday off, you would think, Oh, actually this isn't a great race. So hopefully now that it's in the, into the season a little bit more, um, we can actually see whether it's any good. Cause I think mean, we love going to Australia. It's not somewhere we don't want to go in the future, but is it going to be a good race? We'll have to wait and see. Exactly. And uh, Kira, thank you very much for coming on today anyway. Uh, so whereabouts would we be able to, to find your work? Yes. No, thank you so much for having me. So I am all over the show, really. I'm on lots of social media platforms. Uh, on Twitter, I am at Kira Megan F1. I'm also on YouTube under Kira Megan. I Twitch stream a lot. So I do um, quality watch alongs for F1. I also do football watch alongs. So I am Kira Megan XX over there. Same with my Instagram, TikTok. I'm on a lot now. Kira Megan F1 for all F1 TikToks and things like that. So I'm everywhere, really. Either Kira Megan F1 or Kira Megan or Kira Megan XX. Got a couple of variations, but normally if you search Kira Megan, you'll find me. That's great. And uh, thank you very much again for joining us. Thank you. And thank you as well for watching or listening with us. Uh, make sure you head to planetf1.com for all the, the best news and views from around the paddock in Formula One. And uh, we will be back with you after the Australian Grand Prix, where we have hopefully had another good race uh, for the 2022 season. And we will be there to review everything that happened in your next episode of Talking Point. Sports Social Podcast Network.